Welcome to another episode of Blueprints for Success with John Kenny, your go-to podcast for groundbreaking ideas and practical strategies in the roofing and construction industry. Join your host, John Kenny, CEO of Cotney Consulting Group and a seasoned expert in construction operations, as he brings you exclusive interviews with industry leaders, innovators, and mentors. Each episode is a deep dive into the world of construction, where we explore go-to-market strategies, effective operations, and the secrets behind controlled growth and scaling. Whether you're a budding entrepreneur, an experienced contractor, or simply passionate about construction, this podcast is your blueprint to navigate the complexities and triumphs of the industry. Stay tuned as John Kenny uncovers the tools, techniques, and insights that pave the way to success. Hey, welcome back to our podcast. I'm John Kenny with Cotney Consulting, and today my guest is William Pauley of Markham Advisors. We'll be discussing one of the hottest topics in the roofing industry. I know you've all heard about this. It's the private equity acquisition of roofing contractors. You'd be asleep out there if you haven't heard about this one. It's hot, hot, hot. So some of the topics we're going to be covering today is what is private equity and how do they make money? What is the industry? What is in industry consolidation? Why is roofing a targeted area? Which we know that if you're in there, like I said, I know I've been getting calls on this. That's why we're covering this. How are roofing companies valued? What matters in an offer? So what I want to start in is I want to welcome to my show, William. William, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah. Hey, thanks, John. And really appreciate you having me on on this uh the trade podcast. So thank you very much. Absolutely. So I my enti- my entire career has been in mergers and acquisitions, helping companies get bought and sold. Uh, started in kind of the investment banking side, helping to sell businesses. Joined a private equity firm, which is what a lot of people are interacting now, trying to buy companies. Uh, I have worked for internal M and A uh, companies. I've actually tried to buy some businesses on my own for growing and holding forever. And but I say. When really things took a turn for me was a couple of years ago when I joined a fire safety business uh, that was owned by a private equity firm doing what we'll get into is called a consolidation play. And it was an aggressive all out sprint to acquire as many businesses as possible. And that's when I realized how much of an, how, how aggressive these firms are for making these acquisitions and how important it is to help small business owners in certain sectors really understand what's going on so they can understand what's at stake and try and utilize it to kind of hit their goals or achieve their exits that they're actually looking for. They can get more knowledge about what's going on. So I was doing that on the fire safety side, realized that opportunity and left uh, late last year to start market advisors, which is really targeted on helping small business, small, medium sized uh, owner operator businesses or closely held businesses sell, understand how to sell their business and what's going on, whether it's cleaning things up for a sale and ultimately selling, but really focused on the roofing sector right now. That's where 90 plus percent of my time gets spent. And it's been a, it's been a lot of fun getting to the roofing sector out there and a lot of the operators in that space. Excellent. Excellent. So we might, we have, our audience really ranges from that uh, novice experience all the way up to, to uh, very experienced in the industry. So let, let's cover it for all. So to start out with, we're going to define the term, right? So what exactly is private equity? Yep. So private equity, people have a lot of different connotations around what it is. But in the end, these are investors that buy 
majority stakes, anywhere from 50 to 100%, usually kind of 80 to 100% of, of private businesses. They buy them with, let's use rough numbers, half debt from a bank, half equity capital from their funds, and they buy those businesses and they try and grow them uh, over a four to six year period and sell them at the end. It's, it's no different than, you know, it, it's somewhat similar to how you would, normal people would buy a house with mainly let uh, capital from a bank, and then they might fix it up, make it better, and then sell it a few years later for a profit. It's very similar to that. Uh, and there are a few different avenues they used to do it, but it, that's really the metric. Every year they, they kind of take the cash flow the business earns, pay down debt. So over time, the debt on the business goes down, and ideally, the earnings go up as they go, and then they sell it for a profit at the end. So they really they invest at the beginning, and they exit at the end, four to six year period, and that's really the only real distributions on their on their investments throughout the thing because they're planning on holding it and growing growing through the investment. But and they make money by making businesses more valuable. I mean that is what they are doing. If the business isn't more valuable when they're selling it they're probably not going to make money and they make their money based on the value that their investment grows to over the period of that whole period. That's really what it is. So private equity firms, the way they make their money then is, is the company that they're investing in, which is what they're doing or are or, or working with it as a buyout. However, the deal may end up being, they got to succeed, right? So they've got, they've got uh, skin in the game then. Is that correct? Absolutely. I mean, they're, a lot of people, you know, you hear some stories about how like they'll just take their money out and they, they really can't just take their money out. I mean, their money is in there based on the value of that business. So I'll give you some hypothetical scenarios. If and we'll use a roofing business because this is um, relevant here. It's a service-based business. If all the people leave your service-based business, it's not worth very much. Or if nobody wants to work there, it's not worth very much. So they're usually incented to make it a, you know, Make, make it a culture where people want to work there, where uh, employees want to be there, want to be a part of it. They want to feel incented to try and grow it. A lot of times they will incent people to focus on those growth targets because they know it's good for everybody. If that business increases its value over time, uh, that's, that's how they make their money. So they're really, they focus a lot on making it a great place for people to, a good, place, good and great place for people to work because in the end, it's the value of that business not kind of money sitting in a bank account where they're going to take money out. It's, it's, it's convincing. It's kind of selling to somebody else that appreciates and understands the value. And unlike a stock market where you might buy and sell stock quickly without, without sometimes doing a lot of work on, on the investment, the stock you're buying, private equity transactions are a little bit different. I mean, they take three months. So the buyer, when you're buying and selling a business, they're spending a lot of time researching your business, understanding the metrics, asking a lot of questions, hiring you know accounting firms and sometimes other firms to help them do research in certain areas. So it's kind of it, it's really difficult, almost impossible to kind of hide things when you're selling a private business because the amount of focus and attention on that business lasts for a couple of months. And a lot of people are asking a lot of questions. And when they see things that aren't, they're not sure about, they dig in more. So that's why they are trying to build a, you know, an encompassing high quality business to be able to sell to somebody else in the future, which is how they, how they make money and ideally how they incent the management team 
to make money as well when everybody does what so everybody does well together that's a great explanation i know a lot of times people get this concept confused with what they're used to seeing in wall street hedge funds or the equity investors and and those type of things and i i realize that you know uh there did there there is a difference and that is a great explanation for people to understand that this is more about being successful and and building building something rather than just taking something off the top and that's important for everybody to understand it's even thinking about this so one of the other questions i get is about industry consolidation i hear that all the time i get asked that so what exactly is that yeah absolutely so there are in the private equity kind of industry there are a few different high level ways they things they do in order to increase the value of their businesses over time so the old tried and true way was we buy a business that we think does well and we think it's going to continue doing well. And we're going to bring additional resources to try and grow. And that business might grow its earnings from $10 million a year to 15 or $20 million a year over that four to six year period. And they sell it. They don't do any acquisitions and they're just focused on growing the business. Uh, there are other ones where they focus on more operational improvements. And that was one where they need that company might need help, usually on the manufacturing side. They'll bring a lot of operational resources to increase revenue a little bit, but it's really about bringing in some operational chops to um, increase the margins and make the business run much more efficiently. That's another another strategy. Uh, the third strategy is kind of industry consolidation. So this is where private equity firms will acquire a business that has in an industry that has the right characteristics. So what are the right characteristics? Well, let's start with the basics around, they're always looking for you know, durable, steady end markets. They're looking for growing end markets and they're looking for usually good returns on cash because when, when the business grows and generates earnings, they wanna be able to you know, use those earnings to pay down debt, not buying expensive, really expensive equipment. They don't want it all disappearing by buying more equipment for growth. Mm-hmm. Um, and, so if they have those characteristics and the industry is fragmented, they look at that fragmentation as a huge positive because what they can do is go out and acquire more businesses that look like it to grow their earnings even faster. So for example, let's say you had that same, that organic growth snare we discussed earlier where the business makes $10 million a year and organically it can grow to 15 or $20 million a year. If you went out in industry consolidation, we'll use, Roofing is the example, of course, because roofing is a very fragmented industry. If you go out and you do add-on acquisitions in other markets, you acquire other roofing contractors, other brands, instead of going from 10 to $20 million of earnings, you might be able to go from to 10 to $35 million worth of earnings and really grow much more aggressively and take advantage of, you know, a skill set, honestly, private equity firms is their bread and butter, which is acquiring more using their capital to acquire more companies and that's really the play is, you know we can grow our business even faster and kind of do better and make it a larger more attractive business by growing through those acquisitions and when you think about the trade-off for them a lot of it is you know you could organically go greenfield new locations take your brand go to new markets and establish it there and that's a fine strategy but when they're looking at their four to six year hold period it takes as everybody knows it takes time to go to a new market establish your brand and build it up to size 
they view these acquisitions as something they can do much faster and do something and get credit credit for in their time horizon for when they exit the business. So that's something they do. And it's, it's something that is, it's a playbook that's been used in a number of sectors and industries, and it gets kind of utilized in other ones that, they, they, that they'll find to be an attacking. So for example, some other, other sectors this has gone on in uh, HVAC, the, the HVAC contractors, plumbing contractors is one area, uh, commercial landscaping is another one, uh, car washes is another one, uh, fire safety is another one. So think of generally, it usually falls in the bucket of a lot of facility-based services that are very um, location-specific and kind of fragmented. But it, it really doesn't stop there. I mean, it's also happened with dental practices, dermatology practices, um, trying to think of some other ones. But it, it's happened in a lot of professional services as well. Um, tree care is another one, more of the facility services side of things. So it really varies, but it's been applied to other industries. And they're in different phases of this. But it is really being, it's really heating up now in roofing as people approach that right now and really target roofing for consolidation plays. And that, that's a great lead into our, to our next uh, topic. So I, I know listening out there and, and what I know is we, we've been used over the last even decades of the, con, you know, the consolidation and the private equity coming in more for the supplier and or manufacturing end of our roofing industry for sure we're used to that but why i mean it's hot right now i get calls every day so why is now the roofing contracting end of it really being targeted for this industry consolidation what what's what's driving that yeah i i think part of it is driven from they're always looking for kind of the next thing to begin investing a lot of their capital into but they, after doing research, they really realized that roofing fits the mold of what they're looking for uh, in, in kind of that, those long-term durable trends. So think about it. It is a, you know, when something happens to somebody's roof, it is protecting probably the most valuable asset they have, which is their real estate and their facility. And it's important to get it fixed. You can't just delay it. You can't, you know, you, know, you may be able to push off hiring, you know, buying a new couch in your, in your house, but if your roof is leaking, if your roof is damaged, if your roof needs to be replaced, you kind of have to do it. And that's what they appreciate that, that, that kind of, it's very durable that no matter what, it's so critical to what you do, that roof needs to get replaced. Uh, it's also a massive industry, very, very large industry, very fragmented. And as a lot of people know, it's very service focused. So I know a lot of roofing contractors found it, but you know, the earnings you generate are not usually being reinvested in huge earth moving equipment that you need to keep growing. It's a very service based business that can scale and grow. And a lot of the earnings you generate translate into free cash flow that you can use to, you know, owners pay themselves or it is for paying down debt on a private equity investment. So it just, it, the money translates very well. Uh, and it's, look, a lot of it is, they see a lot of similarities between what they do in other sectors. For example, you know, commercial and residential HVAC. They see the sales and marketing being somewhat similar to how those, those industries go to market. And they see they can reuse some of those playbooks on the roofing side. You know, on the residential side, that means it's much more B2C marketing, 
a lot of online work, uh, a lot of direct mail, a lot of digital marketing, a lot of, you know, higher quality lead generation, website driven things on the um, commercial roofing, similar things. But it's a lot of B2B uh, relationship driven stuff. And they, they see a lot of similarities for reusing some of their expertise they use in the HVAC and some of these other consolidation plays and applying them to roofing. And that's what really makes it an attractive category for them. And they see the opportunity to go out and do that. And that's what, that's, that's what they're targeting right now. Uh, excellent. I see, I see the same things happening out there. And I think it's going to continue to grow um, as a more attractive uh, marketplace as well. So one of the other things I think there's mysteries in um, that'd be great to cover here is uh, how are roofing contracting companies, how are they valued? Uh, that That's a, always a gray area of how people think they're valued or what they're really worth. So kind of give us some insight into that. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. And I'd say it really comes down to a couple of things. Well, a couple of things, and there are a lot of factors that lead into it. So the way a lot of these private equity firms, the, the, the investments they make are bought and sold is based on an EBITDA multiple. So EBITDA stands for earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, and amortization. So that is really the earnings metric they look at. That's the one they talk about and use the most for when they buy businesses, as well as when they sell their business to somebody else. And that's really the most critical factor for earnings metrics them to look at. And I should say the proper term is adjusted EBITDA. So adjusted means that it has been, they've factored in that not all expenses running through your business are sometimes uh, business related. So there are other things that might be one time in nature or not business related that they will strip out in order to increase and sometimes decrease your earnings to figure out what is the normalized go forward earnings of the business. And I'll, I'll give a couple examples that there was a vague thing. So for example, if there is a business that makes a uh, million dollars a year, but you know, the owner doesn't take a salary and it is it, the owner is the operator and they don't take a salary. They only take draws from the business. They own the building and the company does not pay rent. Uh, sometimes also if, if no, if that company does not offer employee benefits, a buyer might look at that and say, well, that owner needs, is going to take that. My operator is going to need a salary when we buy this business. So I got to add that expense back in. Well, I'm guessing that, 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 um, facility owner is not going to give us a free rent for that facility. So they're going to have to add that expense back in. And when we buy this business, we're going to be need to offer benefits to all the employees. So we're, that's another expense we're going to have to add back in. So that's an example where they'll have to add some expenses back in to get a normalized go forward, um, you know, EBITDA, adjusted EBITDA for that business. Now, there are also examples where uh, the earnings will go up. Let's say, for example, the owner pays themselves an above market salary. Uh, let's say that maybe they have an above market rate on their facility for tax gains with you know, another entity that owns the facility. Uh, let's say they have a few employees on payroll. Maybe you have some, some your dad or your, your kids or your, your brother on payroll and they're not really active in the business. Those are expenses they'll strip out of the business. They'll increase your earnings for actually selling the business. So getting to your adjusted EBITDA is kind of the more foundational way that people value their businesses. And 
there should be kind of like a, a source of truth on that. I mean, people should agree on this is the earnings of the business. This is what the earnings of the business actually are this year. I mean, almost, I'd say everyone should agree. Sometimes there's some arguing around or some disagreeing around uh, ad backs because some people get more aggressive with ad backs than what they actually are. But there should be agreement around what the adjusted EBITDA of that business is. So let's put that to the side. That's the earning metric people pay attention to. The more, I say, the, that, that's kind of the science. The art of it is more around what is the EBITDA multiple applied to that business. And that is driven by a whole host of factors. You know, first of all, industry characteristics are a big driver of that. But we're focused just on roofing here. So in roofing, you can kind of put that one to the side. But it really is kind of an eye of the beholder. But things that would go into it, uh, EBITDA margins, growth rate of the business, uh, are you residential or commercial? Um, what are the, you know, do you, what's the growth event? How steady has the business, how consistent have the margins been? What kind of employee retention do you have? Um, there are a lot of factors that go into that. And really, Honestly, I know some folks, I mean, what is your HR model, your operational model? I know some folks are, um, you know, W2 Salesforce, but 1099 installers. I know some people that are even are 1099 uh, sales and 1099 installers. So those things all factor in. And really what it comes down to is, you know, each buyer is going to look at those things differently. For example, if you have a residential roofing contractor, a commercial roofing contractor is going to not value what you're doing as highly as another residential roofing contractor. So they're not going to look and appreciate some of the great things you've done with your business because they're really focused on the commercial side of things. So when you go find that multiple, when you're trying to find the exit on that multiple side of things, it really makes sense to have conversations with people that appreciate and kind of value the things that you're bringing to the table because people value different things based on what they're trying to build. I mean, a lot of how I think about the roofing sector right now, given uh, a lot of the conversations I've had with people out there is most of these private equity backed businesses and their strategies. I mean, I think of roofing kind of in a two by two matrix. So you have residential commercial on the top, then you have retail and insurance on the side. And I'd say, you know, of the probably 25 ish institutional private equity-backed buyers in this industry. Uh, about half are residential-focused, about half are commercial-focused, and a, a few of them kind of overlap and do are open to both. But most people are focused on one or two boxes in that two-by-two matrix. They might be, we're focused just on residential and we prefer retail. We're focused just on residential, we prefer insurance. We're focused just on commercial. So it's really understanding who is trying who is trying to build what and who your business lines up best with because you know approaching a commercial contractor with a residential business you're probably not going to get the value you're really looking for um, likewise approaching somebody trying to build a residential retail platform and you are a residential insurance you're probably not going to get the reception you're looking for in doing that so it's really important to navigate which box you're in and which box makes the most sense from buyer perspective. And then beyond that, there's a lot of even, even grayer, not gray area, but nuanced areas that people care about. 
again, some people are focused on certain geographies, geographies and what the platform they're building. Some people just want a certain um, HR models. You know, some people just want 1099 sales guys. Some guys just want W2 sales guys. And that's kind of a bright line for them. So almost no matter what it is, they'll just say, you know, not a fit for us. So it's really understanding who values what and understanding what's out there to know what, what, who can kind of get you the multiple that you're actually looking for. I think that's a fantastic explanation. Definitely deep dive. Got to listen to it a couple of times because there's a lot of packed information <laughs> in there. But uh, I know I get a lot of questions. A lot of people think, well, you know, uh, what volume do I need to get at? And what you really have put in there is it's not all about volume. And honestly, it's about getting your company hooked and matched up with the correct equity group that's interested in what you have the most value to offer them, uh, which, you know, is very important. So I, I don't think a lot of companies out there realize that or understood that. So thank you for explaining that uh, in depth the way you did. It, it's a great way of uh, getting to understand it's more than just because I get these questions all the time. Hey, what do I have to do to get bought out, right? What do I have to do to get an investment partner? Well, there's a lot of different ways of doing it, which brings us to our last uh, topic for this one, because um, I know this is also another confusing uh, uh, and and uh, very ever-changing type of uh, deals. What matters the most in an offer? Good question. It, it really, uh, all offers are not made equal. Um, and I think it, it, a lot of things factor into whether this is a, a, a real compelling offer. I think a lot of it depends on kind of the buyer and the work they've done. I mean, if you are getting an offer in an email from somebody you've never spoken with, there's probably not a whole lot of credibility behind that because they don't really know, as I just mentioned, that matrix. Of two guys, they may not really know if you're the right fit for them and what, you know, maybe you're growing triple the rate or maybe you're declining or maybe who knows, but it is not really relevant because they don't understand the details to apply that appropriate muscle to it. So offers without, so that's a point where like the more research and information you provided, usually the much more um supported the offers that's much more they, they can stand behind that offer a lot better because they have seen the information that's out there and they they kind of like all right we've seen it all we know we like what we know and here's what we want to do you know other things that factor in i mean the biggest thing everybody talks about and is the headline number and of course that is very very important but there are a lot of things that come underneath that i mean so let's say the business is worth 10 million dollars so there's you can pay that in a lot of different ways you can get you know, 1 million of cash, 9 million of earnout, or you could get $10 million worth of cash. So the, the, the type of offering, so how much of it is cash, how much of it is earnout? Uh, do you want to stay and roll equity into the platform? That matters. Some buyers care a lot about that. Some don't care as much about that. Um, how long are they, do you want to stay in the business? Is, is the role that you have discussed with them one that you want to do long-term? Because right now you've been managing the business. Maybe you just want to focus on sales. Maybe you want to transition out of the business. Maybe you want to do everything you're doing now for 10 more years. You just don't want the burdens of ownership on your shoulders. It's more about understanding is the role that they are you are talking about one that you are excited and want to do. What's going to happen with your employees? 
Are they going to get, you know, upward mobility? What's going to happen with the brand of the business you built? Um, are they going to keep the brand? Are they going to rip the brand off? What's going to happen? Um, what kind of holdbacks are there? So that earnouts are kind of like holdbacks, but there's also indemnity, which is a whole separate topic. We're going to do some other time about, you know, when we buy the business, we hold back a little bit of money to make sure everything is what we thought it'd be over the first year and nothing's broken or, you, you know, everything you told us was truthful. Maybe that number is huge. Maybe it's really small. So that number, that number really matters. The timing of getting that money back. Um, the, the just general cultural fit. Do these guys fit? You know, this is a people-based business. Do these buyers have, you know, really bring the, is there a good, you know, meshing of the personalities that you think your employees are make good fit for what, what they're trying to build? Uh, how much autonomy are you going to get? Are there going to be a lot of people looking over your shoulder all the time, kind of leaning on your harder? Are you going to get the flexibility to continue operating the way you've operated with your pay scale for your employees, with your operating structure? Or are they going to come in at, and, and incorporate new things, which could be risky to your employees and to the overall business? But it's really a lot of questions like that. I mean, and that's just the soft stuff. There's also, look, what kind of experience does this buyer have buying more businesses. So if somebody's looking to buy your business and it's the first time they ever bought a business, that's a different question than it. Is this someone who buys 10 businesses, 10 roofing businesses a year? Like that person understands what's going on, how it all works in order to get it done. And some of the things you can ask right off the bat that can help you is, you know, give me a timeline and the list of advisors you're going to use to actually get this transaction done. Because if they come back with, you know, here are the four advisors we're going to use. Here's the timeline we're going to use for each phase of the transaction. You can get a little more comfort that this has been thought through. They've talked to these people. You can ask, you know, what's the stage of how, would, you know, stage of communication you've had with these advisors? Like, are they, do you actually know them? Are you ready to engage them? Or is this just something you Googled off the internet? And that can give you insight around how serious and how credible these buyers are because selling your business takes a lot of time. And it's pretty disruptive. And the worst, the last thing you want to do is have these things fall apart. And, and the, even worse than that is if word gets out to your employees that you are interested in selling. If, you, if you're not planning on telling them yet, that can be disruptive, particularly if, that, if it ultimately doesn't get done. The people-based business and rumors spread and it, it just gets to be a very um, risky process. So you want to make sure it is a credible buyer with a credible offer that is backed by real information that can get done, that, that you are supportive of, that you think can get done. And that's, that's what really matters. Whew. That was great. I mean, that's, uh, this was uh, full of information. Um, you, you, this is, I, I don't even want to call this a one-on-one course. This was like a one-on-one all the way through advanced, a lot of packed information in there. Uh, our audience is going to really, really love the, this podcast and I want to thank you so much for doing it here, William. But before we close, um, are there any other tips or anything else you want to bring up that we didn't cover here today that you think is important? Um, I think the most important thing is you should have somebody, and this is, this isn't really a plug for me. You can be anybody in your corner, anybody that understands M&A, especially roofing M&A that is in your corner to help you understand these things because your a business owner's bread and butter is growing and running their business. 
you understand everything about roofing, the operations, the execution of your business, the history, everything. And when you're looking at selling your business, um, it's probably the most valuable asset you've got. And you want to talk to someone that understands how that process works, that you can trust and listen to. Doesn't matter who it is. Because so, a lot of cases, I mean, as I said, you know, know your business, you don't know M&A as well. The people you're interacting with, they buy and sell businesses on an everyday basis. That is their bread and butter. And if you want somebody in your corner that can kind of help even the playing field for just having the conversations with them about how to dive in and do things. So no matter who it is, you should have, whether it's a lawyer, your accountant, it does not matter. Just somebody that understands M&A that can be in your corner to help you navigate what's going on and say, you know, this is normal. It's market. This isn't normal. This isn't market. Like you should ask them these tough questions and get, you should feel good about these answers. Again, it doesn't matter who it is. You should have somebody in your corner that understands M&A better to level the playing field against people that, not against, because that's a, I don't want to say it's a, you know, an opposition basically, to level the playing field because you're working with people that buy businesses on an everyday basis. And you want to, I said, increase your knowledge so you can, you can level the playing field with them. That's really what it comes down to. Excellent. So, you, you know, one of the things that when we first met and we were going through all the, the uh, having these conversations that I respected about you the most is the fact that you believe in education first before anything else. You're, you're that type of person the same way I am. You got to give, you oh, got to yeah. educate, and then everything else falls in. But our, our audience today very well would have some, should have some questions. I know I always did. That's why we, can you go back? So if they do have any questions, how can they reach out to you? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I love having these conversations because I love hearing the stories behind behind uh, biz, small business owners and roofing in particular. Uh, you can go to website is marketadvisors.com, M-A-R-C-O-N-A-D-V-I-S-O-R-S.com. And uh, my number is on there. My email is on there. My email is wpauly at marketadvisors.com. Um, and my phone number is, hey, if you want my number, you 904-716-9429. Again, I, I love having this conversation, uh, just to share insight about what's going on to help, look, to help you guys, help people understand what's going on so they can make the best decision for themselves. That's really what it comes down to. So Fantastic. You, well, uh, that brings us to the end of today. William, once again, I want to thank you for coming on and a wealth of knowledge. And I want to thank our audience for joining us. So with that said, we'll let you get back to your day and we'll catch you on the next one. Awesome. Thanks a lot, John. All right. Thank you. Bye now.